G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 136 of the Outback Mine podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining me once again, episode 136. Uh, now, behaviour. Do we, do we quickly judge someone when we sort of observe their behavior and, um, and label them with something? And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly, uh, uh, I suppose, uh, accountable for that. I've done that in the past and not really, um, you know, understood what's going on under the bonnet with someone uh, primarily. Now, today, uh, I've got a well-known fellow by the name of Heath Black with me. Heath played... Um, Oh, nearly a couple of hundred games for Fremantle. Went to St Kilda and then back to Fremantle again as a really high-profile AFL footballer and um, a really talented player as well. Really, uh, really uh, courageous young man and really uh, gifted with his uh, skills and abilities. But uh, midway through his career, Heath sort of hit a speed bump and um, uh, had some criminal charges sort of laid against him. Uh, for assault and uh, various other things, um, but later come out that uh, that Heath uh, suffers with bipolar disorder and ADHD. Um, now, I guess at the time, a lot of people may have judged Heath with regards to his actions and behaviours, but never really understood what happened uh, behind those behaviours and what was going on under the bonnet. So, uh, we're going to talk today about you know Heath's journey as an individual, you know, sort of his makeup as a young fella. And, uh, and basically how he manages his, uh, his mental health now because uh, he's doing some wonderful things. He works with the AFL uh, and does some welfare pl- uh, player management and so forth with young guys to try and help them through. Whereas back in his day, there probably wasn't anyone mentoring him uh, with regards to this sort of stuff. So it's really important to make sure that we uh, support young people, not only coming through the system uh, as a footballer or, uh, or a professional sports person, but also on the workplace. I really believe that. Like we... We sort of come into these environments as a performer and expected to do a job, but really we don't get a lot of support from our employers to be able to uh, give us guidance when we need it uh, and to be able to keep us stable and supported, I guess. And we've got a really reactive culture. We can pull out the mental health card quickly, but if we can do things that can actually help us prehabilitate and prevent uh, you know, episodes uh, occurring, uh, then certainly we can be more functional in this society and be able to be more self-aware. And uh, that's really what it's all about, to, to live every day and thrive in every day rather than struggle. I guess uh, that's the message that we want to try and get from this conversation with Heath today. So I'm sure you're going to really enjoy this chat and I really appreciate your feedback. Just want to make a special mention to our primary partner, Green Nutritionals, who provides green organic superfoods. So if you're lacking something in your diet, I really encourage you to uh, check out their website. They provide awesome organic superfoods, which are available around Australia. Please jump on their website and check them out, greennutritionals.com.au. Alrighty, uh, yeah, strap yourself in for this chat with Heath and I. We're going to have a bit of fun here, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Welcome to the Outback Mind podcast, Heath. No, thanks for having me. It's uh, really looking forward to the chat. Yeah, appreciate it, mate. I know you you got your young fellow there in the background, so for the people listening in, we might get a little bit of a distraction from time to time, but uh, that's all part of being a kid, so... Yeah, no, apologies. We've got in the background PJ Mask at the moment, and oh, um, right. yeah, the thrills of being a stay-at-home dad of, of four with the, the little one, uh, Tate, only three, so... Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty. We call it the madhouse. It's pretty interesting with 
a tw 21-year-old boy, an 18-year-old boy, a 7-year-old girl and a 3-year-old boy. So it's um, very, very interesting. Big mixture of ages, mate, and you'd be reminiscing about your old days uh, when you sort of look at them as well and what you're up to when you, when you were those ages too, I'd imagine. So. Absolutely. Well, I mean, Caden being 18, I, I've already spent a year uh, in the AFL system and, and you know, Chase being 21, um, because I'd already nearly played, you know, 50-odd games or, or maybe more. It's crazy to think mm. uh, being drafted so young. Oh, um, incredible, mate. Absolutely. Yeah, mate, it's, uh, it is, isn't it, when you think about it and uh, and just how different life was back then. But, um, geez, mate, oh, you, you've had an unbelievable journey. Can, can you tell us a bit about your upbringing in Melbourne and that and, and sort of how that sort of unfolded for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was from a, a separated family from the age of three, so that was, you know, had it had its challenges. Um, mum, we ended up uh, living at mum and uh, mum's parents' house, and in in the same room as mum in single beds. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we sort of like had a brother sister relationship. I love <laughs> my dad, and um, every sec second weekend, uh, he would pick me up in the old HQ Holden. Uh, normally. Uh, with a few cans under the belt, would you say? <laughs> yeah. And then it was like two separate lives. It was, you know, Monday to Friday uh, at, a, at a good little uh, Catholic primary school. And then every second weekend, it was just unleashed with the old man. And um, it suited my personality, to be honest with you. And uh, we'd end up at the local Bayswater Hotel in the eastern suburbs of, uh, of, of Melbourne. And I'd just get perched up on that seat there or we'd be at backyard parties or we'd be at the footy or whatever it was. But it was a, a very social side of things. Dad uh, was a, is a Garbo. And um, Garbos have got a very similar outlook on life to some of the footballers that I've played with as well. And that camaraderie that they have is, is staunch. It is just like, you know, if they get into trouble at the pub, it's, it's all in. Um, it was a, like a, a gang mentality, if you want to call it that. Mm. So I suppose the things that I saw within that hotel and, and out and about, you know, the, the violence, the drugs, um, lack of respect towards women, mm. uh, those sort of, of, of key pillars that a young man or a young kid uh, possibly shouldn't be seeing. Mm. Um, but what it did do was uh, it made me extremely, extremely resilient and street smart. Mm. No, no, no. Um, yeah, so that's that's a bit of sort of that side of things from a, a footy point of view. Footy, it was great to always have an outlet, and I, I do believe I just played footy with, with my mates and I was able to release a lot of pent-up anger. It got me in trouble at times, even as a young kid, um, you know, sling tackling and, and actually trying to hurt young kids to uh, take it out on them. Um, but I suppose I was just fortunate enough to be okay at the game and... Uh, Went through the normal ranks of, um, you know, representing the state, uh, under 12s, under 15s, all Australians, and then uh, went into the under 17 draft where back in 96, uh, one under 17 player per AFL side could be drafted, mm. and, uh, and, and hence that, that was me. Um, I was no good at school. I, I ended up uh, getting kicked out of school and becoming a, a carpenter. The year before I got drafted with my, you know, mentor and, and my stepdad, mm. who um, mum got 
remarried at the age of four and, and, and dad got remarried at the age of four so pretty much mm. um, sort of a year after um, the separation so uh, my stepmother brought in you know uh, her children into the relationship so I have two stepsisters one stepbrother uh, a half brother on, on, on dad's and dad's side and two half brothers on, on mum's side when she remarried so we're a massive family and um it's a, a very interesting uh, demographic, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Mate, incredible. I never knew that about you. You know, that's, um, that's, uh, that's a real journey in itself, you know. You need to be proud of yourself to, to, to be where you are now because, you know, certainly those influences that are around when we're young fellas, they can stick with us and we can sort of end up, you know, going down that, that, that path as well. And, and um you know, to your credit, you, you obviously, you know, you had some self-discipline and so forth to get you through with football and, and all those sorts of things. But it's interesting where the talent come from, mate. Was your dad a, a footballer or...? Yeah, yeah, dad played, I mean, every every sort of bloke around the age of 60 played uh, for Hawthorne under-19s. You hear that a fair bit. So he was in <laughs> that sort of under-19 under comp where, I think, as I said, every man his dog played. Um, and, and I think... You know, he was a fantastic local footballer. Um, I think he could have probably gone on a little bit further, but he, he probably picked uh, the social side of things and that camaraderie with mates um, probably over the footy. But look, locally, he, he made a lot of money along the way and, and probably nearly paid his house off as a result of local football. Um, and I can still remember him playing. You know, he was a great kick of the footy and um, quite, quite hard at... at at the man and at the ball. Um, so, and look, uh, as I said, you know, that that sort of upbringing, I suppose I, later in my career, I, I, I probably morphed into that behaviour off-field um, of, of what I did see. And I probably blamed what I saw in the past for my behaviour, but eventually, you know, through seeing professionals and whatnot, I, I had to take ownership of that and... Um, I was making my own my own decisions, risky decisions, and, and sort of blaming my past for it. So I actually see it as a positive. I'm, as I said, a, a very, very street smart person that can um, just see things happen on the street before it actually happens, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can get myself out of situations far quicker than maybe someone that hasn't had that upbringing. Yes, yeah, agree. Certainly going to be grateful for that. But, mate, um, it would have been pretty daunting for you, you know, as a young fellow to get drafted and go all the way across the other side of the country, I would have thought. Really massive. You, you should be happy on... And this is going to surprise a lot of people um, that are listening, that when I got drafted, I was not happy at all um, due to the fact that I had a massive, massive phobia of flying in a plane. Mm. So, and I mean like panic attack sort of stuff mm. and um i just could not get out of my head that within two weeks of having your name called out that i, w I had to get on that kite and bloody hell it couldn't be further away you know mm. wa mm. um three and a half hours or, or four hours depending on the wind and and then you know making the side and and having to jump on that kite every second weekend was just the hardest thing that I had to do for, for the 10 years that I was I was sort of over there. And, um, you know, my teammates, if we went through turbulence, I would just sweat 
and uh, it was the most uncomfortable thing. Um, but eventually, later on, I, I had hip, I got hypnotised, mm. and uh, some other anxiety sort of EFT tapping techniques and whatnot. Um, and people laugh, you know, when when I get on a plane, I fall asleep on the tarmac, like in a <laughs> subconscious state. Like people who don't believe this stuff just think you're you're talking shit, but. Um, I go into a bit of a subconscious state and then as the plane goes up and the seatbelt sign goes off, I, I wake up a bit and then as soon as the seatbelt sign goes back on through turbulence, I'll go back into a subconscious state. It's yeah. quite bizarre, but yeah. uh, your listeners aren't going to believe that, are they? Well, well, I'd certainly hope so, mate. That's what it's all about, to, to, to create, create awareness, you know, around stuff and not judge people, I guess. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, yep. we're, we're, we're quick to do that, but we just don't... Uh, you don't actually know what's going on under the lid, you know? Yeah, well, I have to do something about it. And um, I use hypnotherapy for, you know, uh, the alcohol side of things for myself, anxiety, anger, and, and fear. And um, the lady that I went to in, in WA was, was exceptional at it. And I'm not saying that uh, every hypnotherapist out there is, is good. Uh, you definitely don't walk around the room uh, acting as though you're a chicken, but um, <laughs> but I found it was it was pretty helpful, and uh, yeah, that was just one little component of, of the healing that I had to go through after retirement. Mm-hmm. Incredible, mate! Like that's um, that's something that that I never knew, and obviously um, a lot of people would never have known. You know, geez, how 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 tricky was that? Uh, you know, sort of leaving your family, going across into a new environment where you sort of knew no one uh, and then, yep. you know, having to jump on a plane to, to play games and then, then have to perform when you get to the other end. Well, that's, that's a lot to ask for a young kid. To give you listeners a bit of an idea, I put it that um, the, the flying component, I'd, I had already played half a game in the anxiety energy that i had wasted mm. uh, on that plane and then back in the day we had to play the, the very next day so often i was just generally exhausted um and then flying home was was just as bad but then i had in my head that it, we were going to have a home game and i'd really pump myself up for home games mm. to to just try and really have a good one yeah um and going over there as a young lad, it's not, not like it is today where they watch your loads and whatnot. Our first training session in 36 degrees was a 4K time trial. Oh, um, and back in 1997, I think for, for 14 days straight, I think the weather was over 33. So oh. you're terribly homesick. You're uh, crying on your pillow for the first six weeks at night. Um, you're trying to get the respect of your teammates through hard work. And you're just copping an absolute flogging, mm. um, and and you're not your body mentally and and physically isn't up to it at 17 years of age. That's for sure. Mm, mate. Incredible. Like you would have maybe had a few uh, ex Victorians, Trent Crowe, maybe Chris Tarrant, a few of them over there at the time, possibly. But um, uh, yeah, it would have been a lot of uh, WA guys, and the old weakest piss card would have come out uh, a fair bit if you weren't. Uh, <laughs> If you weren't, uh, you know, lifting your lifting your weight, I suppose. Yeah, look, I, the, the saviour was that I got drafted with a very good friend of mine, Jess Sinclair from Victoria, and we lived together with um, Spider Burton's mum, Teresa, in, in Scarborough. Yeah, uh, right. So... Look, we got our clothes washed, we had our, our food cooked for, everything was sort of done. All we had to do was uh, pr- prepare and, and train. 
um, and and I went on to live with Jess for you know quite a few years. So and we're still friends today. Um, so there was look there was support to a certain extent, but you know you if you were homesick, I wasn't going to walk up to the coach or um, the wellbeing coordinator. wasn't really even a wellbeing coordinator um, back in those days. So you know these days the AFL teams have got many people that you can use as resources. Mm. Oh, that's true. A different world altogether, mate, back then. That, that's for sure. So, so, so what did you do when you were over there to deal with um, your homesickness, your anxiety, those sorts of things? Did you go to the, the, uh, the Fremantle pub and hit the piss a bit or what did you uh, do to sort of keep yourself busy? Well, that, that was the other side of it really, wasn't it? Um, we're talking 1997, so um, we train hard and you get the respect of your teammates on the track, but also we drank hard as well. And the, the social settings was where I probably uh, fell into my element. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was first. I was pissed with the old man at the age of 13. I, I had plenty of practice on the, on the booze, but... <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and traditions of footy and whatnot, you know, beer bong and all those sorts of things. Um, it, it was, I suppose, a pressure to fit in in those in, instances, old-fashioned old lock-ins and, and whatnot, was just as much pressure in a way to, to, to push yourself in the 4K time trial. <laughs> mm, that's right. So, um, oh, mate, but you, you look, at, look at how much stress you're putting on your body by getting smashed like that, you know, and then having to back up and... And uh, yep. you know, and, and go hard like that. It's pretty incredible, eh? It was, I suppose, in my makeup, and you know, I had ADHD, severe ADHD, and undiagnosed and uh, unmedicated throughout my whole footy career. And mm. you know, I can remember um, being injured and. Uh, going out i had a, a really big the boys were traveling i had a massive uh, saturday morning session um with the strength and conditioning uh coach and i rocked up with i'd been out all night had a sleep in the car at south from mount Lobel for an hour um looked like shit and and stunk as soon as i, I, I approached the snc he said you've been drinking oozer and i went oh yeah he goes how he goes, how many? I said, oh, probably 20, 25 of them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, righto, well, this is going to be interesting. And I just spewed my guts up the whole way through, pushed myself hard, and um, and that was me. And I suppose it's a bit like the Ben Cousins theory, um, no different to me. Um, and when, you know, people out there that understand ADHD, uh, we drink to, to try and take the energy away and, and level ourselves a bit more. Mm. Um, but I always had the ability to, the next day, to punish myself severely with what I'd just done. Yeah. Um, and I, I equate that to, to ADHD, um, mm. 100%. Mm. Interesting, mate. I, I see a lot of that in myself as a young fella coming through, you know, except, yep. except I didn't have the discipline to go and flog myself like that. It was more like you get pissed and then you feel shit. But then you wait a few days and you do it again. I, I could never back it up. Um, yes. But if I if I was pushing my body and getting rid of it, then I probably would back it up. You know, to have that reward. Um, yes. You know, would have been would have been probably part of it all too. But um, yeah, look, if, if they had have had the awareness around uh, back in the seventies and eighties when I was going through school, um, then possibly I would have had that diagnosis as well. But you know, I was just a, a young kid that was probably lost through the system that. Um, 
that uh, you know was a bit confused about life primarily, but never able to really sort of explore the gifts and that that uh, might have had within me. But um, but you know, if we're able to get those sort of uh, indications of our makeup uh, at an early age, it can really help us, um, you know, progress uh, through throughout life. And you know, it's it's interesting with yourself. Obviously, that diagnosis come later, but you would have had a lot of challenges coming through. And obviously, you know, you had some behavioural things go on and you had some criminal charges and, and so did I, you know, coming through, but I was judged yeah. on those, you know, I, I lost my license a couple of times and I did some silly buddy things, but, but I was quickly judged and I, I reckon you would have been quickly judged on some of the stuff that you did, um, you know, as well. Yeah, to a certain extent, yes. Um, but I, I, I tell you what, I, my employer, you know, in the back end of the career, Channel 7, really, uh, I was a sports reporter, and they, they did stick with me through a few charges, mm. which that wouldn't happen today. Fremantle w- were really interesting. They even allowed me, um, I assaulted police, um, which was not great, and um, on, on a, a f- um, occasional bodily harm on a civilian, and I was looking at jail, and... Um, mm. They actually, while that court case was on over 12 months, they allowed me to play. Oh, shit. <laughs> Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. Um, they let me play football. So that wouldn't happen today, would it? They would, um, you know, release you while while you went through your court process. And yeah. I would say on, on those charges, um, you'd probably be dismissed. You'd be, you'd be let go. But um, eventually, yes, mate, they, uh, you know, I suppose I was judged in a way accordingly um, by by the, the judge himself, the judges, and, mm. and also the perception out in the public around WA was, um, you know, I'd walk into a pub and I'd often have security come up to me, even sober, and say, are you going to behave today? <laughs> right. um, yeah. So that's probably, you know, where it was at and... I mean, we'll throw a bit of uh, mayo on it. I was at the, the Raffles Hotel, a long lunch. We just uh, was at the end of the career and uh, I'd retired and uh, I was buying and selling large parcels of property. I think we just did a deal for $12 million and um, none of it was mine. I was just buying, buying and selling on behalf of some entrepreneurs. And uh, long lunch, excited, and by the end... Call from... Myself from the premise, and there was a, a fish tank with a crayfish at the bottom of it. So I put my hand in there and, and took the crayfish out. <laughs> oh, serious? <laughs> no, no, that was where I was at. I had absolutely no regard for the public. I thought at that stage the world had the problem, and, and I didn't. And I was above the law, and I was in my own little. I, I called it then my bipolar bubble. Mm. So, and I was having manic episodes and the medication I was on for anxiety and depression were bringing out my ADHD undiagnosed and my bipolar undiagnosed. I was pumped up as strong as 10 men mm. and I was a loaded gun mm. and, and, and weekly I'd go off. And I suppose that links back into the judgment of you're just a psycho. Yes. Um, yes. And and yes, I, the perception watching me, I, I was, um, but under underneath the bonnet, bloody hell, there was mm. some shit going on. Turbulence. Yep. 
Heaps of it. Yeah, yeah, mate. Amazing. And um, think back about it, mate. Like, like there would have been other guys in the system uh, the same. I know in the workplace there was guys that were seen as loose cannons, which were probably very much the same. Uh, yep. You know, quickly, quickly given. Um, Given uh, labels and so forth, but primarily, um, yeah, no one really understood what was what was uh, going on between the hemispheres of the brain. You know, there was a bit of an imbalance there, and some stuff going on which was making you, you know, react and behave a certain way. And you pretty much get in this fight and fight survival mode severely, don't you? And um, and yes. then start to you know live your life from that space, which is not the the, the best place to be. No, you're right. Um... I think initially I was probably using my mental health diagnosis as, as a bit of an excuse behaviour mm. for behaviour, and I quickly worked out that that's just stupid. You've mm. got to own own what you do. I still had a choice, didn't I? Even though I was sometimes out of my mind, so to speak, I still had a choice for my behaviour, and I chose to, to go down the risky path. So mm. it, it wasn't until... I had a doctor who took a real interest in me after I, I suppose I, I had a call out for help in front of a thousand people at the Men in Black Ball, I think it was at the Radisson in, or the Hyde in, in Perth. Is that something and, that, um, you, that, you, that you, did you start that? No, I was invited to, to, to speak and um, I'll never forget it, I was in, in, a, in the hotel and I wrote two speeches. I had your normal footy speech which everyone was expecting to hear. Mm. Um, and then I had this call out for help around, I, I don't think I've got correct diagnosis and I'm, I'm really struggling and I don't really want to live on this planet and uh, just bloody will <clears throat> someone help me. So yeah, right. I get up on the podium and uh, all, I'm talking about, you know, a, a packed thousand people. And I go to reach for the normal footy thing, speech, and I put it on the on the little lectern there, and then I take out the cry for help, and I, I, I proceed to, to talk. And most of the people in the room were high echelon people and a lot of doctors. Mm. And at the end of it, they were eating their dinner as they sort of, and you can hear the knives and forks hitting the plates Within about five minutes of talking, it was dead set silence. And then at the end of the speech, they all stood up and clapped. And at the end of it, a guy by the name of Dr. John Clarkson approached me and he said, you need to see me, ring me tomorrow. This is my number. You've got ADHD. Mm. And I went, I said, nah, mate, that's in kids. Mm. That's in kids. And he goes, come and see me. And then that was the, the life changer. Um, Mate, can you give us a bit of an idea about what was in the speech? Um, I, it, it just went along. I, I'd obviously been in a lot of trouble and I was really, really anxious about even getting up in front of all of those people and, uh, and talking about my mental health. Mm. But it was, I'm, you know, I'm putting myself in situations around the Perth CBD area late at night where I want people to punch me up that bad that I do not want to wake up. Mm. These are the feelings that I'm having. Um, I'm going through a massive divorce. I can't see my kids. Like it was just this. Mm. <laughs> it was like I was in therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it just kept going on and on and on. Um, so... 
it was the best thing I really ever did. Um, and, and, and it went from there. And then Dr. John, we went through six weeks of really hard therapy linked into um, what's called the global mind screen. And, and he helped create that. And essentially, um, it's a survey that uh, as you're ticking the questions, um, the computer-based generated um, generates partial diagnosis. Okay, so if I'm ticking a lot of boxes for my behaviour, please take... Okay, mate. Um, if I'm... All right, we'll fix it. Um, if, if I'm ticking a lot of boxes around bipolar, then... Um, come on, mate, come down here. Uh, then it'll, it'll give the doctor, okay, he's, he's got high risk around bipolar behaviour. So that was severe for me. And it, and it categorises it. So ADHD, I've obviously ticked a lot of boxes around that. Mm. That was severe. Mm. Depression was moderate and anxiety was severe. So mm. around social anxiety. Mm. So then you tap into, you start taking medication um, and things seem to ease and then you do another global mind screen. And by the end of the year, um, all of those areas we're in the moderate area. Mm. So mm. that just shows you the extent of what dexamphetamine did for my um, uh, ADHD mm. and what what the bipolar medication did for my bipolar. Mm. So, Definitely, mate. And, and, sorry, go ahead. And also anxiety medication uh, when I needed it. And, you know, I stayed on ADHD medication for two and a half years. Um, but now, as a result of, I know we spoke about this the other day, but doing yoga, meditation, um, hypnotherapy a little bit, uh, the emotional freedom technique for my anxiety, um, all of these hosts of things, having hot bars at night with the candle and all of that stuff allowed me to come off the ADHD medication and only use when needed. Yes. Anxiety, anxiety medication only used as needed. And as your listeners that have, may have bipolar, I've come to the realisation that I will be on that medication for the rest of my life. Mm. And I accept that. Um, if that little white pill keeps me away of manic episodes, even though they are very addictive and fun, what goes up must come down and I'd rather just be level. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Oh, mate, beautifully said and I'm really grateful, you know, that you shared that and, and you need to be proud of yourself for the journey. But, you know, geez, we, we, we spoke about the importance of, of managing the nervous system and, and being able to, yes. to, to self-regulate, you know. Uh, I just think that's a skill that, that, that really 9 out of 10 people don't understand. Uh, you, you can do it with a can of beer. You can do it with, um, you know, with with a, with a joint or whatever. But if you can just understand where you're at and, and, and where your balance is out, you know, having the ability to be able to correct that is um, is a is a skill and a tool that um, that that you know I, I guess really a lot of us um, you know need to invest in to be able to learn because it's really important. If we don't. Uh, you know, we, we end up in balance and that means consequences sometimes and all of a sudden you can end up on medication and you can end up uh, on that long term unless you can do things like you did and sort of take a bit of autonomy to, uh, to, to balance things out, you know, holistically, I guess, at the end of the day. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, look, and don't get me wrong, there's people out there that should never come off meds, and um, I'm not advocating for that, obviously, uh, to your listeners, if you're thinking, oh, oh, Heath came off his uh, ADHD, I'll do that, but make sure you talk to your yeah, doctor. Everyone's um, that, yeah. Absolutely. But I think the next part of my journey in, in bettering myself from my mental health is, you know, the stuff that we spoke about in um, really the yoga techniques and the different ways of, and we discussed, you know, opening up our hips and releasing all of that energy and, like, all of that, I'm, I'm right, right up for and. Um, mm. I think I was saying to um, the girls in the footy I look after, the Oakley Chargers, as a wellbeing coordinator, and I said to the uh, the players just the other day that we have to the amount of effort we put in on field with our pure fundamentals of training, we have to put the same level, if not more, into our emotional fitness, our our mental fitness. Mm to be able to play this the hardest game in the world and that's footy yes um and if you just continue to think that it's the physical side of things i said to them in my opinion opinion you'll you'll naturally fail in the end mm. um you've got to be start be start putting in that that mental side into your into your psyche yeah yeah mate incredible and um Something just come to me as we were speaking then. In 2012, I did some work with the Tassie cricket team um, uh, yep. because I was sort of into the fitness and strength and conditioning side sort of back then and it was all go, go, go. But then I realised I had Tim Payne in front of me, you know, doing some yeah. work. And then I, he was an incredible athlete, but primarily I, I just saw in these guys that, uh, that their minds were always on. Uh, and that's when I needed to, uh, I started to realise that I needed to explore how to switch off, you know, and how to be yep. able to turn the body off, you know, because if you can really learn how to slow your mind down through your body, then your body gets a chance to reset. If it's on all the time and you're thinking all the time, then your body is in tension. If you can release that tension from the mind, then the body starts to adjust and recalibrate. And a lot of that work can be done by releasing the fascia in the body. And once the fascia opens up, then all of a sudden the, the mind gets a rest too, you know. So it's a real transitional process which isn't really um, appreciated and understood in, in sport, but also in modern society, you know, with someone that's in the workplace or, you know, someone that's in tension in their job or at school or whatever, if they can learn the tools to, to you know, open the body up slow, slow the mind down, then their performance gets a lot better. So that's something, you know, for the, for the people that you're coaching to be able to sort of help them understand that, you know, what they're investing in physically, they've got to be able, also be able to, you know, invest that time into, into the stillness and the slowing down as well, just to be able to find that balance, I guess. 100%. Yep, totally agree. Totally agree. Mm, it's, it's important. But, yeah, but, you know, mate, we're, we're on. You know, you're, you're a young kid. You, 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 you're a good footballer, you know, you went over and played footy, you, 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 you had all that sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, I suppose, um, you know, energy, uh, the only way you could release that energy was through, through the physical body and pushing yourself and, and you know, really drinking and, and that uh, doesn't really help you because, 
you know, you, you get a bit of a rest, but primarily, you know, you, you go straight back up again um, uh, when your cortisol spikes. And, you know, if we can learn the tools to self-regulate, I think that's that's critical and important. And, you know, it's so grateful. Um, you know, it's, it's so good. And, and I'm really grateful that you, know, you and I have been able to have a chat like this because it'll, it'll just take your journey to another level. And, um, you know, at, at, at 43 or 44, mate, you've still got another 40, 50 years in this body. You know, if you can learn to use that, well, then, you know, um, you're going to be physically immensely well for the whole of your life without having to succumb to, um, you know, all the illnesses that are, are sort of being thrown around out there, you know. And, um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just the, you know, uh, it's just the ability to be able to continually learn and grow. And it's interesting, mate, with, with footy, um, you know, you never got to really play in a premiership or any success, I suppose, no, throughout your whole career, no. did you? No, um, two losing prelims. Yeah, and uh, which was that was pretty hard. But <clears throat> my pre-performance anxiety was a real issue for me throughout my career. And um, it's funny, I, I was actually really scared, like scared, uh, how I would be leading into a grand final and playing in a grand final. Um, a lot of anxiety associated with that, mm. which you know, I don't know. I, I just don't know how I would have gone. Mm. Um, would I have gone into my shell and played like shit? Would I have come out swinging? Would mm. it's just there was so many unknowns. Would I would I absolutely play a blind? I don't. I I couldn't tell you mm. um, because of that anxiety that that pent up anxiety that would go through my body. Mm. Um, I think it's really important. You just made me think to your listeners that. <clears throat> I don't want to come across that I'm cured mm. because I'm not. Um, I live with anxiety every single day. Mm. I got up at four this morning and to go to work as a, as a I do a little bit of work at F45 and um, I was anxious mm. For, and I don't know why and that's cool, but I was able to then join in the class and, you know, get a little bit of that anxiety out through exercise mm came home and anxiety kicked back in a little bit and I had a to-do list that was <clears throat> about 15 things on the page. And so I'm just, what I'm trying to say is that I, I ebb and flow with the normal stresses of life mm. um, like anyone else. And I've got to be really, really careful <clears throat> um, where my head's at because I don't want to go back, <coughs> pardon me, mm. go back into those old habits of, of drinking yes yeah oh yeah mate you know really like this is this is my uh, my my passion and real exploration with regards to this is because like i wake up differently every day too you know i used to have a a, a, a high level of self-discipline where i'd have to go and run so far or lift so much or whatever but now i wake up and i see how i feel and then i, I regulate that but Really, yep. what, what it comes down to is what's gone on in your body the day before, what's gone in your gut the night before, you know, how that's digested. Um, all, yes. these, all these little things can affect the way that you, you wake up, what your cortisol levels are like and what your anxiety is like, you know. So if you can learn um, ways that sort of work for you, and I really, um, uh, you know, I, challenge, I wouldn't say challenge you, but I, I'd advise you to have a look at... Um, uh, you know, the days that you wake up and you feel reasonably balanced and fresh and, and what went on the day before, did you take on lots of other people's energy that was negative? 
did you eat something the night before which was hard to digest um mm. you know and and just just sort of pay attention to that because if you can do that then that'll give you a bit of a, a roadmap on um how you can be more balanced uh, on a daily basis and you're not having episodes like you did this morning and and those episodes can lead to consequences when you sort of go back to hitting the piss to uh, get yourself feeling grounded again. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. Yep, mm. for sure. Mm. Um, and I do remember when I, I was trying to get correct diagnosis, I kept a mood diary mm. and, um, and it was funny. Uh, my mood was... Uh, very consistent in a in a cycle um, for some reason Thursdays were a real high energy day and I, I think that was linked into selection night mm. and and on Saturdays like game day from a gym point of view um, my body is that wide that it's it's ready to go every Saturday yes <laughs> yeah, yeah even now even now, 100%. Yeah, so yeah. Our, our major gym session is Saturday mm. and it's like my grand final and I'm pacing. Yeah. And all, oh, it's just, <laughs> when is it going to end? But, yeah, um, yeah, I understand, mate. It's interesting uh, while you were talking before, like I remember talking to Wade Chapman. This is back in yep. like 1999 when he got delisted from, um, uh, from the Swans. Yes. I think he went back to another club for a while. He, he had probably some, some, some troubles back then, but I helped him uh, sort of find a job and, and that sort of thing. And um, uh, he told me when he played in the, in the grand final for the Swans, he couldn't remember half the game. I can, I can relate to that. Mm. Yep. Mm. How about that? Mm. Um, it makes me think when, and people say, oh, it's due to intoxication, but... And maybe it was a little bit, but when I used to get in trouble in, in a fit of rage, like mania, so like an out-of-body experience, and when I used to give a statement to the police about what happened, mm. totally had no memory. Anyway, the cops brought me in and said, Heath, are you going to stick by that statement? I go, yeah, 100%. And they go, watch the CCTV, mate. <laughs> and I just burst out in tears. I said... I, I can't explain what I'm watching and who that person is. I have no recollection of that. Jeez, unreal. So, yeah, pretty scary. Pretty oh, scary stuff. Mate, but back then, would anyone have actually paid attention to, you know, a potential um, diagnosis or an imbalance? I don't reckon it would have been probably um, even thought of, but now they could say, okay, well, this person may be struggling with this or whatever, you know, but um, they can sort of put a bit of a... Um, uh, a needle on, on it with regards to, you know, knowing where someone's actually at. But um, well, that's yeah. incredible. I've never heard, uh, you know, uh, of a situation like that before where you just have been sort of so so much out of your mind where you haven't been able to recall what's what's going on. It was like, yep, um, like a real amnesia moment. It happened to me in Thailand as well mm. uh, on a footy trip. Um on the first night of a footy trip, there was uh, a bit of an incident involving a gun. A gun got pulled on me. And um, from from that, yeah, oh, God. Uh, and from that moment on, um, mania kicked in for the next eight days. Mm. And uh, there's huge chunks of, of that uh, trip that I've, I've forgotten. And even in a subconscious mind, uh, did, was I really there? Did I... Yeah, and I'll, I'll even uh, memories will, will come back, and I actually don't know whether they're true or not. Mm, mm, 
Mm, unreal. unreal. So yeah, <laughs> you, 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 you've had an you've had an unbelievable life. You've written a book, and, and I've read that, but I reckon I need to. But uh, I, I wrote one too, and I talked about my stuff, but I don't reckon it's even um, even uh, anywhere close to what what you've been able to do. But uh, mate, incredible, isn't it? Like you know, you you. You're getting, I've never had a gun pulled on me, but um, certainly I'm sure there would have been guns in the environment that I was in sometimes. But um, uh, yeah, <laughs> just see that that elevated you when you stayed in that elevated state for so long by the sounds of it that uh, you're unable to yeah. sort of get out of it. Yeah. That you've nailed it. And I mean, I've had to get a lot of therapy around that incident because my mindset was I actually wanted him to pull the trigger. Mm. Um, that, mm. that was where I was at. But I remember. I do remember after that running, um, running with bare feet, no shirt and boardies, um, probably for about 10 clicks. And this is after about 18 hours on the Terps mm. um, and ended up out the back of Shantytown mm. uh, and, and literally woke up on a, on a burnt out mattress in, in, a, in the back of Shantytown, still with my kidneys. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then had to try and work my way back to the hotel. And you wouldn't have had a clue where to go, I wouldn't have thought. Uh, had no, I, I, I got to the beach and then sort of worked out that I needed to go left. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> and uh, rocked up, uh, saw a couple of teammates, uh, Ryan Crowley and Byron Shammer on the, uh, on the beach mm. and laid there uh, and went to sleep, sort of. Mm. And, and they just said, like, you're all right. And I... I went, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Um, and I think probably about five hours after, um, I had a beer in my hand and that was day two. Jeez. And, and did you explain to them where you'd been or anything like that? Or? Not really. Like, not really. Um, the, the incident of the gun was, was actually in front of two first-year players. <laughs> um, so they were extremely you know, out of their comfort zone, that's for sure. And really, I, I say it, you know, I think I said it in the book, I, I reckon I lost a, a lot of mates from the footy club within that eight-day trip. Mm. Um, I think, and people that have been to Thailand, I I dropped eight grand <clears throat> in eight days. Mm, that's a lot. So yeah, that's fair going in Thailand. Um, and look, yeah, it, it is what it is, and we were quite untouchable. Uh, in Thailand, um, we had had links with um, uh, the Prince of Thailand and whatnot, and we, we all had um, you know signed documents in our paper, in, in our pockets that if we pulled that document out, we were untouchable. Like people find that hard to believe, but it's just I, I had a contact that that sort of was a, a bodyguard of of, uh, of the Prince, and oh, it just goes on and on. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, mate. Um, geez, like you know, some some real light bulbs have come up for me um, with regards to, to to stuff as we've spoken here, which haven't really been triggered for me for a long time. But you know, if I went to a situation like that, like um, you know, away with mates, I'd be I'd be incredibly anxious about you know going and being there. But then I'd have to have to wipe myself out just to sort of yep. set, settle down, you know. Um, and, and that sort of behaviour stayed with me for, for a long time, you know. It wasn't, wasn't until I sort of started to, to get more into, uh, well, like sort of the fitness stuff first, that sort of got me into a state of self-awareness. But, 
but primarily the meditation and the yoga sort of got me able to understand myself and my emotions and allowing myself to say, well, I don't need to do that anymore, you know? Um, yep. But yeah, as a young fella, mate, I was, I was exactly like that. Like I'd, I'd be so built up to go to something and then I'd just be asleep like three hours later because I'd be so blind, you know? Yes. And uh, yeah. I just think that was obviously similar behaviour patterns and, and, and that, 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 that you've experienced as well, which I was unaware of back then. And, um, you know, um, certainly, uh, yeah, you know, the, the self-opinion of, 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 uh, of, 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 of who you think you are and also what others are thinking of you can really, really stay in your, in your cellular memory, you know. And it took me a lot of uh, time to actually... Um, uh, you know, let that go, I, I guess. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, lots, lots of fellas uh, don't, uh, they're not lucky like us to be able to sort of, you know, be here. They've either left the world or they've ended up in jail, you know. Um, yes. Uh, because, yep. because they just um, haven't been able to, you know, um, discover themselves, I suppose, or be able to have the, uh, the help uh, that, that's that's needed to help uh, you know them move forward and, and, and move move on. So you know we've got to be really grateful um, for for all the shit that we've been through, but also to be able to be here to still have uh, the conversations. And I reckon Heath, you know, we've, we've got to start to do more of this in in the general public. Um, you know, yep. to to help the average man out there to understand that. You know, what they've gone through or going through is not uncommon. And, you know, when people hear your story and my story and that, they'll see that in themselves. I, that's why I really love doing what I'm doing because if I can sit up in front of a room and talk about my own journey, you just see mouths uh, open because people can sort of see uh, their own experiences within, um, uh, within what you're saying. But also that helps them uh, sort of find a bit of a... Um, I suppose, a platform to be able to make some changes and, and get some guidance around making those changes because, you know, back back in the in the late 90s and early 2000s, mate, you wouldn't have not have seen blokes getting up and having a conversation in front of people like you did in front of those guys at the Black Tie event, you know. So that, that not only probably didn't change your life, it probably changed other people's uh, in the room that you didn't actually realise, I guess, uh, as well. Yeah, you, you've hit a, a massive point, and I think um, I don't know how you feel, but when you you do share your your story in front of people, um, I drive home uh, feeling a lot better and and at ease and at peace with myself. Mm. So the more storytelling that I can share, uh, the better I feel. So when I'm at those sort of functions, I, I one of my to do list to keep well is to tell a story. So I urge people to, to share their own story with people that they feel comfortable with because it just bloody makes me feel heaps better, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is important. So I like to be busy in the speaking sort of circles and the more I'm touring around and educating people and whatnot, the more healthier I, I believe I am. Mm-hmm. COVID, lockdown in Melbourne for, for those two years and, and not being able to get out and and share how I'm feeling um, was a very, very challenging period of my life, the, the lockdowns, that's for sure. Mm, no doubt. How did you go through those periods, mate? What did you do to keep yourself balanced? Yeah, had to um, buy a, a, a big gym and put it in the garage. So that was me first setting, setting all of that up. Yep. Um, spin bike, rower, you know, squat rack, everything. So that was that kept me busy. Mm-hmm. And then um, we we sold and bought and bought a house. So that 
that kept me busy. Um, I had to prepare our old home for sale and, oh, look, I just had to keep the mind um, ticking over but also um, realise that the positive out of lockdown was um, it was a hand, put the handbrake on life, simplify things, get up, do the same things each day, go to the shop, um, cook, clean. So I became a creature of habit. Mm. Um, but then I then had anxiety associated with coming out of lockdown then. Mm, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and having to be forced to do things socially. Um, so look, COVID, was, it, was, it was extremely tough, but it, for me, it had some positive traits to it as well. Um, but yeah, everyone was different through that period, that's for sure. If you can, if you can um, uh, have a routine and structure in your life, then you can really overcome anything. You know, if you're if you've got something yep. which keeps you grounded every day, and, and you are you are self aware enough to say, well, I need to I need to move my body here. So you know, so you, you're able to um, invest in getting the equipment which gave you the tools to. Um, to do that and that that helps you um, physically and mentally really and uh, I guess um, you know uh, throughout this whole period I've been able to stay pretty grounded not too swept up away in it because I've had a routine every morning that's kept me in that state of uh, understanding that everything is impermanent you know Um, um, you know and if you can just get grounded within yourself and feel that sense of equilibrium then you know things will pass and and this is this is taking a bit longer than than usual but um um, yeah just just realizing that the sun will come up and it'll go down like it does every day one day after the other and nature's not giving a shit about covid you know Uh, (laughs) to be able to realize that there's so much more greater than what's going on you know in the human construct is um is really important too because uh because this will move on mate you know and uh, we'll be back to some form of normality i would have thought again but as long as you're, you know, keeping yourself in, um, in that state of balance, that, that's really important. And, and if you can do that, then everyone benefits. But if you're out of whack, then, you know, no one benefits from that as, uh, as well, you know. Yeah, and no, I think I'm getting the benefits out of, out of yoga. So yeah. um, that's, that's going to be uh, three, three times a week and early, not as early as what you do, but um, <laughs> I'll be, you know, 6 a.m., so up at 5 uh, and I'm just exploring the, the different the different um, classes and whatnot, and uh, so yeah, I'll, I'm finding that that's really good, and um, and then I walk home. Yeah. So perfect. it's I'm getting a bit of I'm moving away from that high intensity fitness, and yes, yeah. I'll, I'll do that a couple of times a week, but I yeah. I want to invest in in this other side um, for that for the journey to continue. Yes, agree, mate, and and. I might have mentioned to you, you know, our bodies do change every seven years, you know, physically and mentally. So being able to sort of be prepared with that, you know, and having some challenge in your life and sort of still getting the heart rate up is really important because that helps you, you know, um, manage your age well uh, too. But uh, you've got to have that, that yin-yang balance sort of thing, you know, like the, 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 the slower stuff with the, uh, with the turned on as well. And, um, yeah, certainly uh, it's important to... Uh, to, to sort of you know continue on the journey you're not going to be able to do the 4k time trials that you did when you were 17 or 18 but if you did a 4 4k time trial you know now and you did it again in three months but you'd also did it regularly and kept your fitness up you would probably still improve you know so we can, can yeah. continue to improve you know 
uh, right throughout our lives if we actually like give ourselves some challenges. But um, also being able to be kind to ourselves is really important as well, particularly if you've got anxiety because you can just keep you know wanting to climb the climb the, the ladder and um, sometimes you get a kick in the ass. But um, you just, gotta, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just got to be able to be aware of it, you know. And um, yeah, you know, life's a, a great thing. And, you know, getting up early in the morning, as we discussed, like you, you just see life for actually what it is, you know, the stillness before everything wakes up. Um, and that, that's when you can start to realise that uh, there's so much more than, uh, than what we sort of, um, you know, perceive things to be at the end of the day. Agreed. Agreed. There's nothing better than that silence and, and of uh, no people around. And um, I'm getting getting used to it. It's uh, it's something that I've I've got to start doing. Um, and yoga will, will be a part of that. Yeah. Good. Good to hear, mate. And um, uh, you know, I, I really hope that we can um, explore that more in the future. And uh, you know, you build that uh, into your life because I think it's a great tool for anyone that has any issues with anxiety, as it as it sort of helped me a lot. And um, um, you know, just to be able to surrender is a big thing. You know, to be able to let go. If you can let, learn to do that, uh, which is a very difficult thing for a man to do, to just just let go because we're always on lookout or watch or. You know, always uh, trying to be on, but uh, we've just got to learn to switch it off um, occasionally. So, really important stuff, mate. Well, I'll bet, better let you get back to your young fella there. No, he's done really well. He chased me around for a little <laughs> bit, but um, I think we, we got there. Uh, it's been a good chat. I know we've covered a lot. And um, If anyone does want to reach out, uh, just Google my name, go to my website, and um, I'm more than happy to help in any way I can. Uh, and yeah, thanks for having me. What is your website, mate? It's just www.heathblack.com.au. Easy. That's it. A lot of thought went into that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty old old website these days, but um, there is a contact sort of uh, tab there, and, and that still works. So um, yeah, all good. I'll have a look, mate. I haven't checked that one out, but I'm sure I will. So good work, mate. Well done. Thanks very much for joining in. Uh, really uh, yeah, interesting chat and uh, Heath's yeah, incredible journey and it's amazing how we're both, uh, uh, we're both here. You know, I, I guess we're both here for a reason. We've been through lots of, uh, lots of stuff in our lives as uh, I'm sure many people listening have, you know, and life could have went either way, but uh, we're all, uh, all here for a reason. And um, you know, if you're listening to this, um, you know, take every day, uh, as a gift primarily um, as you move forward and every day will be a good one and um, we talked about the importance of um, being able to get up and just appreciate nature and all the simple things that are there um, that we can do um, on a daily basis which can help us um, you know, self-regulate and uh, get back to the real stuff again so appreciate your feedback uh, if you want to reach out to me support at outbackmind.com.au just uh, check out the website outbackmind.com.au and uh, yeah keep in touch um, share this podcast with others uh, particularly those that may have experience with bipolar or ADHD and uh, keep tuning in for some more good podcasts to come cheers